0: My message is going to be a little different today, and another another aspect as well, in that uh, as I walk through the highlights of this passage of Scripture from Matthew chapter 2, so we do that, I'm going to try to illustrate each point with a contemporary story about either a modern-day Magi or a modern-day Herod, and we may even talk about a modern-day Joseph or two, Okay? Know every once in a while you all might hear something like, The Bible is so dusty, it's so outdated. The human race has come so far as a people, we have progressed in 2,000 years. What relevance does it have today? Well, I hope by the end of our time this morning that you will have a powerful sense of the scripture's relevance for your life and all of our lives. So please turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 2. Verses 1 through 18, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has born, been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel." On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. "'Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him.' So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so it was fulfilled what the Lord had said to the prophet, "'Out of Egypt I will call my son.' When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious." And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said to the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So let's walk through this passage. Verse 1. Matthew says that magi came from the East." See, the magi have always intrigued me ever since I was a little guy. but I would see pictures like this as a young guy, and I would say, "Who are these honchos?" Well, the magi were some of the most prominent scientific, diplomatic and religious scholars of their day, and they were a part of the political court of what is current day Iran. Now, back then, it was known as. Persia they were considered wise men in the sense that they would advise political leaders based on their extensive knowledge, part of which was based upon their reading of the stars. later tradition has says that there were three of them based upon the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. but the actual number of the magi is unclear. there could have been two of them. Eastern traditions say that they were actually 12 prophecies of a coming messiah were well known throughout the middle east and in fact there was a jewish community that had remained behind after the exile in persia so the magi would have been familiar with the old testament the prophecies about a coming king david a messiah and they would have heard scriptures like this from numbers 24 a star will come out of jacob a scepter will rise out of israel So isn't it interesting? The first people in the world outside of Israel itself who were searching for Jesus were from Persia. Now I wonder if there is any significance in God's providence that today the fastest growing church in the world is from this exact same place. Some of you may know that over the last Year or so, we here at First Presbyterian have opened up a new strategic partnership with the land and the people of the Magi. Iranians both inside and outside of Iran are coming to Jesus in droves. Thousands of Iranians in Iran are meeting secretly in homes, in parks, even in cars, any place that they can find in secret to gather together, to read scripture, to pray, and to encourage one another in their newfound faith. Reports are that 10 new house churches are starting in Iran every single day. And that there are now between 2 and 3 million new believers spread across that country in every social stratum. Both believing and non-believing Iranians are fleeing Iran, and they're spreading out to all places around the globe. One of the key locations where they are going is Liverpool, England, where refugees from Iran and other Middle Eastern countries are being processed there by the British government for citizenship. This is a picture of the Iranian church there in Liverpool that all of you have been supporting for about the last six months. Now, despite all the smiles and the joy that you see that these folks have, many of them still carry inward and even outward scars of their past. One of the things the Iranian church in Liverpool is doing is they are, they're reaching out to a refugee center that is located there. When our small team was uh, there with them this past summer, we went to the refugee center to meet and to talk with the folks who were residing there either to encourage them in their faith if they had already come to Christ, or to introduce them to Jesus for the first time. One of the people we met at the refugee center was a young man who became a follower of Christ while he was in Iran. Now, I've got an arrow pointed to his picture here in the group, and you can see him there and a blown-up image of him in the top right-hand corner as well. The secret police found him at a house church in Iran, and they lashed him 99 times. He went back to the church again, and once again he was apprehended by the secret police. So they beat him once more, 99 times. I didn't see the scars on his back, but to two of the other guys, he lifted his, church and they, his shirt and they were easy to be seen. So at that point, after those two beatings, he fled the country for his life. After we prayed for him and took this picture with our group, he asked us, he asked us this. He said, Can I send a copy of this photo we just took to my brother in Iran so he'll know I'm not alone? Friends, this is the face of one who, like so many, would rather stand up to the spirit of Herod than to leave the freedom and the peace that he has found from the baby in a manger and speaking of the baby after finishing with Herod in Jerusalem those Iranian magi followed the star and they went to Bethlehem in verse 11 it says that on coming to the house they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh just like this first Magi, one of the things that impressed us about these Iranians and others that we met from around the world was their eagerness to give to Christ everything that they had. After Worship the Sunday when we were there, we, we broke into small discussion groups uh, together that members of this congregation, we were, we were leading these. And as we talked together with these new believers, they wanted to know answers to questions like this, what will heaven be like when I die? And they would ask things like, how can there be a good God when there's so much terrible stuff going on in the world right now? And as I listened to them ask these questions, I knew that they had experienced themselves some of these horrible things that they were referring. We had their rapt attention as we talked together about these things. These modern-day magi were bowing down, and they were worshiping Jesus with their lives. They were seeking him and they were learning to live for them in all things. Back to our text, verse 13. When the Iranian magi returned to their lands, ducking Herod in the process, an angel appeared to Joseph and told him to take Mary and the child and to escape to the nation next door, Egypt. At that point, they became what we would know as Refugees. There are 26 million refugees in the world today who are fleeing from war or violence, persecution. Now, 80% of those who flee actually just land in the country next door to them, wherever that is. But some of them travel to much further lands away. Among these 20% who have traveled far away from their homeland were the people that we met in Liverpool at that refugee center there. They call it a hostel. It's really just a plain Jane collection of very Spartan apartment rooms, apartment buildings. One afternoon, we went over to visit at a time when the church leaders knew that residents habitually go outside and they kind of mingle in the parking lot, so they're easy to kind of catch up with at that point. So a couple of folks from our team, Afton Briggs and Emily Dahl and I, we went over and we began to engage a family that we learned was from Pakistan. And this is their story. The father, who was seen here in black, um, was a physician who opened a polio clinic in Pakistan. Now, evidently, Afghanistan, Nigeria, and Pakistan have the highest polio rates in the world. Well, for a variety of reasons that you can read about on the internet, the Taliban are suspicious of vaccinations. They're not in favor of those. So they threatened this man, and this is what they said. If you do not close down this clinic and these vaccinations, just little drops in your mouth, right? If you don't stop this, we're going to kill your kids, and then we'll kill your wife. So let me ask you, if you were a dad, what do you think would be going through your mind? I mean, you've spent your whole life, or much of it, training to help your people. And now you're going to lose all of that and your livelihood in order to save your family. Now I dare say that few of us have ever been put in that kind of situation. When we talked to them, they had been in England for a little less than a week. They were trembling. The wife's hand under her, her, her hand was, was doing this the whole time that we talked. They, but they showed very little emotion, which as I've learned is a sign of PTSD. They could barely even look at us, but they gladly accepted our prayer in Jesus' name. And I am quite sure that this is the first time these two have ever been prayed for in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Their lives had been totally upended by the threat of death. And you know, it sounds a little bit like this to me. So Joseph took Mary and the child and they escaped. Folks, I wish all of this were not so intense this morning. I'm guessing that most of you were not anticipating this type of message this Sunday after Christmas. But the more I reflected on these encounters in Liverpool, the more things began to feel like that first Christmas, the way it actually went down. Just like at that first Christmas where there was so much joy in the midst of a new baby. And there were these thrilling sights of these mysterious magi bringing these extravagant gifts. There were times in England when we were just overwhelmed by what we felt like God was doing in the midst of all these new Christians. Iranian Christians we met told us about being Overwhelmed by a sense of a loving Father in heaven. They were experiencing dreams and, and visions, and they were able to express themselves in a freedom and worship and personal devotion to Christ in a way that they had never been allowed to do that in their former country. And the whole time we were there, it just seemed like the Holy Spirit was running around all over the place, saving and healing and restoring. But there was another side to the trip as well and it's what makes it so hard to describe because just like that first Christmas there was also fear and stress and things that are even worse. So now let's finish up in verse 16. Herod flew into a rage when he figured out that the Magi had given him the slip and so he gave orders to kill in order to stamp out the threat of this new baby. Before our team went to Liverpool this past summer, earlier in the year, Rick and Joy Sturgis and I usually sit right over there. Uh, We went went on an exploratory trip in January, five or six months before the full team came, to work out all the logistics and get the lay of the land and all that kind of thing. And during that trip, I met a young woman in the church who just totally captivated me. And even though we didn't have much time together, she, she just took my heart away. So much so that when I planned to see her again, I wanted to surprise her with a gift. So Stacey Irwin from our church gift store here, our bookstore, helped me with just the right thing. And so I worked it out that I could give this to her in a very public way. So here she is. This is She is 12 years old and she has a rare genetic disease, a disorder called Cocaine Syndrome. And when I held her, she would kind of cuddle up against my chest and and she would squeak and she would coo. Now in Iran, common wisdom says that disabilities are a curse from God. Her family told me that they had left Iran because the government there wanted to euthanize the child. Sounds like, once again, Herod had given orders to kill. And once again here we have another Joseph, a dad, faced with a decision that would upend his whole life in order to save his family. So just like that first Joseph, he left his livelihood to take whatever menial job he can find in a language he doesn't understand, and he left almost everyone he knew to save his child and the other members of the family. So before I preached that Sunday, I asked that Bada and her family would join me in front of the congregation, and I took her in my arms and I gave her the gift a little stuffed lamb. And I prayed a blessing over her life that went something like this. Today I speak this blessing into your life. Long before the foundations of the world were laid, even before time itself, you were known and loved with an infinite love by your Father in heaven. He called you by name, He set his love and affection upon you for all eternity. Let this little gift be a reminder to you that you will forever be a sheep of his fold, a lamb of God's own choosing, and that your light and love will be a sign to all who meet you of Christ's presence in your life. You are a reminder to us that God's grace is made perfect in our weakness. Your parents are amazing, but I guess you know that more than any of us. I speak God's blessing into their lives as well as they care for you. Give them strength for the living of each day. They have been graced by the honor of the Father, and we are thankful for their witness to us. For this, Father, we give you praise, and we pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, somehow I made it through that. On that particular Sunday, there were a lot of Iranians on vacation, like a lot of our Christian Americans are today. And so there were only about 50 of the folks in the church who were there. But every single one of them looked at me and what was going on with rapt attention. Few, I think, had ever heard that this young girl was a gift from God. But what I do know is this, that the services at this Iranian church in Liverpool are live streamed into Iran. And after the service, the church leaders told me that what I had said and what I had done had been seen in over 800 homes in Iran. But you know it's not me who was speaking. It was the one who would later grow up and he would say things like this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It was the one who, when asked by his disciples, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And he said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the power of God might be demonstrated in him. And it was the one who said to his early follower, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul said in response, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. My friends, Christmas is not a celebration of the human spirit. That's Herod. The human spirit was what would one day crucify that baby in a manger. Years later, that same human spirit would push Jews into ovens and would crash airplanes into towers. But Herod is not just Stalin or Hitler or people like Iranian mullahs. The truth of the matter is is that Herod is all of us in some way or another. And because of that, we don't need a shopping season. Friends, we need a savior. And so that's why the scripture and the, as in the gospel are as relevant today as when they were first written down and heard. You see, in over 2,000 years, the human heart really hasn't changed at all. All of us still need a Savior. And the good news of Christmas is this. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, what? A Savior, who is Christ the Lord. You see, Jesus came into the world not to celebrate the human spirit, but to redeem the human spirit and to take away our hearts of stone. That's what Christmas is all about, and that's why we're celebrating today. Every year, Christmas reminds us that God's Holy Spirit is alive and active and working in our world today, just as it was in the same way 2,000 years ago at that first Christmas. And we can see this in many ways today, in unexpected places, like Iran, of all places. We see this prophesied about in Isaiah 60, when Isaiah sees a day when nations will come to the light of Christ and kings to the brightness of his dawn. The truth of the matter is, there's still magi here and all around us. And in every country who are people who are seeking to make sense of God in life here on planet earth. And there are still brutal Herods who are terrorizing God's people out of their own lust for power. And yes, there are Josephs. Dads who are trying to shepherd their families in a lost and desperate world. And in the midst of all this comes the infinite and eternal God of the heavens who chose to enter this real broken world of ours in the gift of Jesus. The gift that makes all things new and that joins us to join him together in his father's mission to the world. And he calls us to offer our very best as we come to be a part of that mission. So my friends, the only question that remains for you and me this day and this coming to you is whether you and I will enter into that mission, God's mission to the world that began with a baby in a manger. Let's pray together. God, your love is wider than our vision, and your grace is more wonderful than we could ever sing. Yet you chose to visit us as a child in a manger, to love us as a friend and to save us as a redeemer. We admit that there is much in us that is not yet ready to receive you. Our world is torn by horrors and distant countries and intentions in our own streets. Our communities have children who are hungry in school and people who are hungry for wholeness and healing. Our lives are busy to the point of exhaustion and we carry so much worry that it makes our prayer dry and it flattens our joy. So holy and awesome God, we ask you, stop us. Stop us long enough that we might hear a song in the darkest night, that we might feel your presence in the midst of everyday tasks and sense the joy and the hope that flows from the strength of your care. Come, Lord Jesus give us a heart of praise and a song of gladness. In your name we pray these things. Amen.